Well, as we move from chapter one, chapter one, we left off again seven different times through the book of Joshua. We'll see God specifically tell um, Joshua here to be, don't be afraid, be of good courage. He'll keep repeating that because the mantle had been passed to Joshua. I, I don't think Joshua ever thought that he would be an under shepherd or he would be taking that mantle and leading. You know, he he was originally a slave. He was building bricks in Egypt. He was doing all these things. Lord eventually made him a general and a servant of Moses and all these things, you know. But uh, to lead a church of two to three million people, I mean, what what kind of training would anybody have to have for that? And And yet the Lord just tells Joshua, don't be afraid. I'm with you. And what's remarkable about this is we know that we read in chapter one that it was going to be three days. And we're going to read about what transpires in the first half of chapter two really describes what is happening in those three days. And we begin to understand a little bit about what the mission's going to look like. The mission that Joshua had, not that I think he's out of the will of God. Certainly we have no reason to believe that in scripture by sending out spies secretly. Okay, he, he tried the public option, or should I say Israel tried the public option back in Numbers, right? We read about that, and, uh, you know, the 11 spies went up, and uh, what happened? They came, 12 spies, they came back, and only Caleb and Jenna turned out into a big division within the church. And so they're not going to do that publicly again. Joshua, with good discernment, says, no, we're going we're gonna to do this secretly. And the other thing that it, it draws to my mind is preparation is godly. Preparation is godly. Joshua, knowing that they're going to that, go into this battle, God's given it to him. They know they're going to cross over to the Jordan. They're going to go to Jericho. It's the first major area that they would see. It's a fortified city. It's got tall gates and walls. You can't get in. It's not like today where we walk into a city or town. Everything's gated off. So to even get in, there's a gate. So knowing that they were going to cross over into that land, Joshua sent these spies in, these two. And, and, and he thinks the mission is to go spy out the land, to, to find out the vulnerability or to prepare, you know, I often thought um, we want to be Holy Spirit driven, right? We want to be led by the Holy Spirit, but nowhere in scripture do I ever read where it says that we shouldn't prepare, that we shouldn't go in a godly way, prepare for what the Lord has. Can you imagine? I, I, I once heard someone say uh, that when they were going to teach the Bible, that uh, they didn't really spend a lot of time in preparation or study. They just simply got up and, and whatever the Holy Spirit gave them, that's what they talked about. And they, and they said, man, I'm really spirit driven. And I thought to myself, I said, well, you got the first half of the equation because the Bible also says study to show yourself approved, doesn't it? It's, it's not one without the other. And when you take these half truths, you end up with a lie or something missing. And so Joshua, not willing to take any chances, he's, he's going to prepare. He's going to sort of, he's going to pre have preparation. He's going to go out and do this. So I'm going to begin in verse 1, but just wanted to lay the context for you and what, what we're going to see here. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from the Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. Well, I find that incredibly interesting. Of all the places that they could come, they come to the house of a prostitute. Now, these two men didn't turn around and go, well, this is a prostitute's house. It's a house of ill repute. We, we, we certainly can't stay here. How did they end up at that house? Well, you remember that three days 
that three days that it, one of these days is part of that because they're going to make their way there and back. And then the third day is going to be when they go up to the river. Uh, Joshua thinks that he's sending them in to do what? Well, you just heard. He says he's going to spy out the land, especially Jericho. But God has a different plan. God has a plan of salvation. And there was something in this woman, Rahab, in her heart that she had begun to notice the God of Israel. We're going to read about that because she actually says that. She'll say that. She says, I've heard of you, the God of Israel. And she begins to somehow believe or, or, or something's going on that she recognizes this and there's, a, there's fertile ground. And I think that's the, the equation for anybody getting saved, right? It's, it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter if you're in the house of ill repute like that. If there's a heart that's yearning for God or if there's fertile ground, God will meet you right where you're at. And this prostitute, Rahab, I mean, you, you follow what will come from that line. David, it's his great-grandma, right? Six or seven greats in there, Jesus Christ. And nowhere in the Bible does it try to hide it. No, it, it celebrates that this woman was faithful, she came to salvation, and it didn't matter who she was. It's who she was going to be in Christ that Jesus saw, and he knew. If we spent more time looking through the eyes that Jesus has given us, that spiritual supernatural 2020, how many people maybe in our lives we've written off? Maybe we didn't take time because we thought, they're not ready. Look at what they're doing. Look at their lives. They're living in sin. They're drunkards. They're, you know, they're idolaters or whatever, fill in the blank. It's like we read in 1 Corinthians. Paul says, as were some of you, as were me. And I think this is beautiful because Joshua has one plan, and he's going to use the direction through that to reach a harlot and a prostitute. Friends, I have a question. Who can't be saved? Who doesn't Jesus want to save? Well, and it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. Well, the first part of the mission failed. It's not a secret any longer, right? Didn't take long, right? They walk into the city. They, they get noticed pretty quickly. Israelites, right? They're walking in. They certainly look different. They dress different. They're walking in, they're, they're, they're noticed so much for the secret mission, right? They, they failed that, but God has a different mission in mind, a mission of salvation. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out the country. Then the woman took the two men and hid them, so she said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. Is that true? No, that's a lie. Is God condoning the lie? No, he's not. He's simply recording it. That's all that is. And it happened as the gate was being shut when it was dark that the men went out where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly for you may overtake them. Again, a lie, not in any way condoning it. Just the scripture's honest and transparent, and it says that's exactly what she did. 
but she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. Then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan to the fords, and as soon as they had pursued them, they had gone out, they shut the gate. Now, there's a couple things that are going on here in the Jewish customs or norms. There's the idea of hospitality. You know, you go over, even in Bedouin, not even today, you go into the Bedouin culture and the Arabs and you know, very much come stay with us. We'll take care of you. Very, very gracious in hospitality. The same thing if you go into a home of an Arab or someone in the Middle East, an Israelite, you you almost expect they, they understand how to treat their guests, their wonderful hosts that way, and they care for them. But there's a point to which any host would say, well, wait a minute. You're a wanted person. You know, you're coming in with the idea that you're going to overtake or spy out the land to destroy this city. Even the most noble and wonderful hosts are not going to turn around and hide you on the roof under stalks where you can not be seen. She was risking her life here. Had they found that she was doing this, they would have killed her immediately. It would have been treason, death. It would have been capital punished, death sentence immediately. But this woman, this prostitute, this harlot, she had more courage that night to do what was right in spite of all the things that she had done. She knew of God. And how do we know that? Well, it, there's no coincidence. We just studied it this last Sunday, didn't we? It's, it's in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. We read it together. Do you remember that? We read it. And it spoke specifically. Well, let's, let's hold our fingers there. How does she know? One, she knows because we're going to learn and they're going to tell, tell us, well, the account tells us that she had heard that they had gone in and crossed over the Red Sea, that they had been delivered. They had heard that, you know, they had beat the, um, the king of Og and Bashan. They, 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 she, she heard about all of it. And it brought terror to the Canaanites, and it brought terror to the land. Because who is this God that can deliver a people? Who is this God that can cause the Red Sea to just, you know, split in two like that supernaturally? Nothing else has ever been done like that before. Everybody was talking about it. But was that enough? Was that, was that what it was? Was it the signs or the wonders? I would suggest it's more than that. If I look at Romans chapter 118, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. To suppress a truth means you must have what? You must possess the truth. It must be something to possess, to suppress. Because what may be known, verse 19, circle that in your Bibles if you didn't this Sunday, of God is manifest in them. God is declaring that it is already there. Every single human being alive today has the programming to know God. It's a matter of will. It's a matter of will. His will or your will or our will. He says, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are what? Without excuse. 
God has made it very clear. Every single human being alive has been, has been given a measure of faith. What they choose to do with that is what they will stand at that great white throne judgment. And the books are open. Without Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, the one that's going to take your sin upon himself and instead give us his righteousness, right? A propitiation, a substitute that way. We stand blameless before God. That's why he tells us that we're no longer guilty in our sin. We're no longer condemned by our previous trespasses. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. But for those that have the programming in their hearts and minds as they stand before God and the books are open and this is what you've done, this, this, and he goes down the list, Yes, I did that. Yes, I did that. Well, I didn't know. Really? You didn't know you were searing the Spirit of God when you chose not to do this? You can't lie before God. It'll be shown. He knows every thought we have, everything we've ever done. Well, I didn't know. What about the guy on the island? He, this answers the question about the guy on the island, huh? If he doesn't have a Bible, what, what, what do we, he's got creation that testifies, but even if that wasn't enough, his own conscience is what will betray him. His own conscience. I don't know if you've thought about that. I've thought about that an awful lot. How many times we think when the Lord sends us in, many times it's to bear witness that we hope to plant seeds to bring someone unto salvation, right? But did you ever think that there's a possibility that God has also placed you there as a witness that when they deny Jesus, that that account is recorded, that he purposely sent one of his own in. So that that day when the books are open, this, but I didn't know. He said, you knew it's in the DNA, it's in the programming, the creation bears witness, and I also sent my servant. You remember that day he came to you and you denied me. I can't think of anything more frightening than that. To know without excuses, the Bible says. It, it does, God's not grammatically challenged. Without excuse. Well, here's this woman risking her life. Right? Was she honest? No, it's, it's recorded. She lied. Now, before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof. And said to the men, I know, notice that with me, please circle, that's very important, what we get from this passage of scripture, I know that the Lord has given you to the land, or given you the land. How could she possibly know? Because she knows that she knows. Because it's been known and made known. Today, those dwelling in Israel with the Israelites know whose land that is. It's God's lands, which he has given to the Jews. It's not somebody else's land. It, it can't be bartered or traded or redrafted lines of demarcation. None of that can be done because it's not their land to do that with. And it's interesting, even if you go over to Israel and you speak with a Zionist, someone that's a nationalist, okay, 
and you would have a conversation over there, maybe on the bus or when you're going on a tour. A lot of times you'll see people in the military. They're walking around. We just saw uh, Laura uh, gave us a missions update from Israel when she was just there this weekend or, you know, when she had come back, she gave us an update this weekend and she showed us one of the pictures. And we saw a young woman, a woman, probably 21, 22 years of age. She's sitting there. She's ordering something needed at a cafe. And what did she have hanging around her, her back and her neck? She had an Uzi, right? She had it. She had her weapon from the IDF, Israeli, dis, you know, defense forces that that they're required to carry at all times when they're in the service. Now, maybe if you'd have gone up to that woman and said, "Do you believe in God?" Because just because you're living in Israel, people make the mistake to think that everybody who lives in Israel is a believer in God. By the way, and that's not true. That's not true at all. So even if you went up to her, you might have said, hey, do you know, she might say, I, I don't, I don't know this God you speak of. If you're sitting there and you have a conversation, you're, you're in the IDF, you're certainly fighting to defend Israel and you believe you have a right to this land. Why do you believe you have that right to the land? And do you know what she's going to tell you? She's going to say, because God has declared it. Wait a minute. I thought you just said you don't believe in God. Oh, well, no, that's not. Do you believe in the Bible? Well, yeah, as a matter of fact, the fact that you are here bears witness to the fact that the Bible is right 100% of the time. It is fulfilled prophecy that you are here from Ezekiel chapter 36 and 37. The dry bones live again. 1948, you came back into this country. I just want you to think about that for a minute. This, this is Rahab, the heart of the prophet. She, she lied. The Bible records the lie. doesn't agree with it. God's not saying, you know, I'm glad. No, he would be against lying. But she's willing to risk her life. And she says, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. We see faith in action here is what we see from this, this prostitute. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. You can't hide the testimony of God. It can never be hidden. For when you, when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, uh, Shion or, and Og, giant, Og was the king of the giants there, whom you utterly destroyed. They were aware of all of God's moving in Israel to all the Jews. They couldn't miss it. And it hasn't changed. Jerusalem and God's chosen people, Israel, are still at the center of that timepiece. We can still tell biblically and chronologically where we are through prophecy by watching and looking at what's happening in the Middle East and Jerusalem today. And very clearly, we know if we're in a Matthew 24, we're not in Matthew 24 yet. We know if we're right on the crest of Ezekiel chapter 37 and the five nations, we know where we are. We're not confused that we're in the millennial reign already, right? None of us here should be confused with that. There are those that are. There are those that think we're in the millennial reign. I don't understand it. I don't see Jesus on the throne. It's declared. It's a literal understanding in the book of Revelation. And as soon as they heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did they remain, or neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you for the Lord your God. Do you see that? Because of the Lord your God. 
They even understood. She understood. She didn't have to go to seminary or Jewish school or any type of, you know, teaching like that. She looked and her own spirit bore witness to the moving of God. And it couldn't be hidden, even from an unbeliever. Even from an unbeliever. Do you know that today there are many unbelievers, if you ask them? Do you think things are really crazy today and we're living in the last days? Oh, absolutely. Well, how do you know that? Oh, I don't know. I, I just, they you ever heard this? I, in my gut or my stomach. You know, I feel it. You ever heard people talk like that? Oh, it's my, we know what that, it's the Holy Spirit, right? Well, wait a minute. They're not believers. Well, that doesn't mean, what did we learn a couple of weeks ago? That the Holy Spirit dwells in the unbeliever. He's what leads them to Jesus if they don't sear the spirit. And then once they're saved, right, he dwells within them and takes residency. And then he certainly comes, in the Greek, upon and gifts, right? Romans chapter 12, 13 and 14. He says, because of you, for the Lord your God, even she recognizes it. It's for the glory of God. That's what it is. He is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. Isn't that amazing? Is, is, is there not anybody else in here reading this with me going, what, did I just read that right? That, that this prostitute woman that, that doesn't have any education, any meeting with God, wasn't on Mount Sinai, didn't have any of the law or the Decalogue or anything presented to her, simply because of the original programming, and God's love, she recognizes the moving of God right before her and declares who God really is. He's God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. They know. I, because of this passage, I'm certain, and because of the passage in Romans chapter 18, verse 220, I'm certain every single person alive knows there's a God. I don't believe in atheism. It's a philosophy of a man. A, when you put it theism, to know, to deny that. I don't believe in agnostics. The idea of an agnostic, I know there's a God, I don't know what I know. You couldn't possibly, because you can't search the whole world to be able to Explain what you know and extrapolate on it. You're simply limited. You can't go into the firmament, can you? I mean, in a plane, I'm sure you could. But besides that, you can't go into the first, second, or even certainly the third, the heavens, as Paul would say. But they declare it. I, I, I don't believe. How could you be so certain? How, how can you have faith? I don't even have that kind of faith. That's, that's crazy faith. To to deny what you know to be true, it's diabolical to convince yourself otherwise. But we know of people that have done that, don't we? We know of people that have, like Rahab, you know, lied and they become so good at it, they believe their own lies. And then we, we put a term in front of it to, to define what it is. What do we call it? You know the term. It starts with an H. Habitual. We call them habitual liars. They continue to lie, and they begin to believe it so much that they create an alternate what? Reality for themselves. A one in which they are the center. And their understanding and interpretation defines everything around them. It's a philosophy of man. 
It's diabolical. It's so demonic and seductive because it makes them, through the work of the enemy, it makes them actually believe they're in control and they actually believe they're right. Even though all of creation testifies, their own, their own conscience bears witness and he loves them so much that he wants to save them, save them from the wrath to come that's due to every single unbeliever that hasn't been covered by the blood of the lamb because of the wages of sin. It's death. I'm convinced after reading this passage, everybody knows. So then why don't everybody make professions of faith? What's different about Rahab? As we read this tonight, what's so different about Rahab? Was she perfect? No, she was a prostitute. She was a harlot. Did she live a life that she didn't lie? No, we just read she lied twice. What was different about Rahab? She had good soil. She had a heart. And she wasn't willing to be convinced by her own agenda or her own lifestyle or whatever you want to put in front of that to override what the God of the universe showed her. She was humble enough to believe in spite of what she may want to hold on to because when she believes, is she going to be able to be a prostitute anymore? No. How was she going to care for her family, her parents, her loved ones? As they got older in Israel, it was the children's responsibility to care for the older parents that way. How was she going to eventually be able to do that? As a matter of fact, it's Rahab's faith that's going to end up saving her whole family that's going to be part of that house, that will come into that dwelling. It makes you think differently, doesn't it? When you look at things the way God does, who's worthy to be saved? Everyone. Who deserves salvation? No one. Sinners that are saved go to heaven. Sinners that are saved go to heaven. It's beautiful. It's, it's God showing us his love for this woman. And, and Joshua has no clue. He has no clue why the mission is going there. He thinks the mission is to go. How do we get into Jericho? What, the gates and, and God is like three days. I've got one soul there and I'll stop everything. Everything for that one soul. What wouldn't I do to reach that one soul for Jesus Christ? Was it worth her giving up her life if she got caught and being murdered for capital punishment? Was it worth it? It was to Rahab because she put her life on the line to protect these two men. Now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord. Why can she say, why can he say that, right? Why, why can she say that? Because that's the thing that's trustworthy. God. Since I have shown you kindness that you will also show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token. And spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. That's what God does, doesn't he? He brings us life. 
So the men answered her, Our lives for yours, if none of you tell this business of ours. And it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. There's the agreement. Then she, let, then she let them down on a rope through a window, for her house was on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall. And she said to them, Get to the mountains, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there. How many days? Three days. How did she know three days? How did she know the time that Joshua had already been told by God that was appointed before she, Israel was going to come into that land? Because God had gone before these two men, and he put it on her heart. There's no coincidence. Until the pursuers have returned, afterwards you may go your way. So the men said to her, we will be blameless of this oath of yours, which we have made us swear, unless when you come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless, again, a conjunction and another stipulation, unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household to your own home. What is he saying? He's saying, look, if you don't do these things, we're off the hook. We don't have to keep our promise that way. But if you do these things, we will keep our promise, right? Now, we just saw a scarlet cord. What color is a scarlet cord? It's blood red. It's blood red. I want you to see the picture here. You have a blood red cord. I see this as a beautiful typology. Um, I can't help but seeing Jesus, our righteous Savior and judge. And what do I mean by that? But because right here to Rahab... He's a savior, but to the rest of those in Jericho, he's a what? He's a judge, isn't he? They had to follow direction, or she had to follow direction in her family. It wasn't, it wasn't on her terms, was it? How do we worship God? Are we willing to be inconvenienced? Are we willing to disrupt our comfort to worship God? To live a life to truly be disciples of Jesus Christ? I mean, if we really believe all that we say we believe, and the Bible is absolutely true, and we're going to stand before Jesus Christ, which I believe with every ounce and fiber of my being, it, it is true. It's beyond contestation. To know that I'm going to stand before God and, and give an account for my life, and I'm going to look at the wood, hay, and stubble and all that burn that I spent the first, what, half or more of my life doing everything I wanted. And none of it was centered on following God and what he desired and his will be done. And, and maybe none of you are like that. Maybe, maybe your whole life has been dedicated. Only. Praise God for that. Praise God that he's directed you that way. But for some of us here tonight, that, that's not our account, is it? That's not how things went down. And it just reminds me, God desires obedience over sacrifice. He really desires obedience and mercy over sacrifice. And I think that's part of the problem that's going on in the church today. I think there's such confusion going on because there's so many different forms of doctrine being preached or people trying to 
make Christianity fit into the model of a westernized American culture. Rather than letting the Bible transform the heart of the believer, we were not called to, you know, blend in. We were called to be holy and set apart, to be examples and witnesses as Israel was called, to be his chosen people to all of the nations, that they would be able to see the difference between someone that was holy and a chosen person of God compared to other nations that were committing idolatry. Because if they all blend in and they all look similar, what's the difference? And if you want the proof of that, stay with us for the next few years if the Lord should tarry, and we're going to read it through Chronicles and Kings or Kings and Chronicles and Samuel. We're going we're to read about it through Judges and how God will bring judgment to the people because the whole point is that they were to be holy and separate. And I see too much happening in the church today where everybody's, you know, churches and programs, pastors are so worried about, you know, who, who's going to, you know, how do we get the church to grow? You know, how do we, how do, we do all these things, you know? And, and none of that matters. My Bible tells me in Acts 2.42, when, when the word of God goes forward, hearts are changed, and, add, and God adds unto the church daily as he sees fit. 8,000 in two weeks, that's a pretty cool church growth program, Right? When you do it God's way. What about these books out there today? Did you ever read the books in most of the Christian libraries today or the Christian bookstores? I mean, do we need another book on how to live the Christian life? I've got the instruction manual. I've got the Bible, the living word of God before me, and there's just more and more books on it. But but why? Why can't I why can't I rest in Scripture? Because what I want is I want to hear, or not I, but people want to hear a little tickling of the ear, a little, a little. Uh, well, you can do this, but but really, why is it so hard for us to, and I say us, the church, why is it so hard for the church to stand up and represent Jesus Christ as a true ambassador, not to embarrass his name? Because people are watching. And you wonder why people are confused about the church today and why people don't want to go to church today and why people turn around and say, look at the Christians, look what they're doing. And then when we have our elected officials stand up and they, they hold an office and they turn around and say, God bless you. And then they go off and commit adultery or they go off and sin and they go off and do all these things and they turn around and make spectacles of it and a mockery of the name of God. We have colleges in our, in our neighborhood in this area that, that go by the name of Christ and yet don't practice the word of God when they turn around and say, you know, it's, well, you know, we have a student union and we think it's okay that if you're homosexual, like, we don't want to hurt the student's feelings. You're going to love them right to the pit of hell? That's not real love. We don't need more of that. That's been happening for 2,000 years. We need truth. We need to be changed. We need to lose that entitlement mentality that, that, that the church should be a place that kind of is a chameleon or, or it changes to meet the culture and the, the time that we're living in. No. We're changed from the inside out. And then we go out and change the world for Jesus Christ. 
this prostitute understood more than three quarters of the body of Christ today. Obedience, keep your promise. Follow the direction. Verse 19, so it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head and will be guiltless. And whoever's with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him, speaking of a solemn pledge. And if you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from your oath, which you made us swear. Then she said, according to the word, so be it. And she sent them away and they departed. And she bound the scarlet cord on the window. Notice that she does it right away. She doesn't wait. She's not turning around going, well, you know, I'll get, I got three days. I got three days. No. You know that happens today, right? Come on. Are we desiring obedience right now? Are we desiring discipleship? Are we willing to change our lives and the comfort of our lives to live according to the scriptures? Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to go one direction while the world goes another? Look, I'm not browbeating anybody here tonight. I'm, I'm, I'm sharing what the word of God teaches so that it stirs the hearts, my heart too, of course, that we see it from God's perspective because God's not a liar and God doesn't turn around and, you know, make chocolate applesauce and call it, so, I don't know, I'm trying to think of something that may not, maybe that's really good taste, and I don't know. I'm trying to think of something that's maybe not so appealing. You know, he doesn't take and blend things and call it something it's not. God's a straight shooter. He's a straight shooter. He's a God of love, a God of truth. He cannot lie. So they departed and went to the mountain and stayed there three days until the pursuers returned. They did what they were also told to do, didn't they? They followed as well. What God had spoken to Rahab, they followed that as well. And because they followed, guess what? Their lives were also spared. That's what happens when everybody obeys, when we do the right thing according to Scripture. They departed and went to the mountain and stayed there three days until the pursuers returned. The pursuers thought, sought them all along the way, but they did not find them. So the two men returned, descended from the mountain, and crossed over, and they came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him all that had befallen them. What a great word of encouragement as they went back to Joshua. Joshua, I know you want us to spy out the land, but we met a prostitute. I can only imagine Joshua, what? The law, what? No, Joshua, you don't understand. We stayed at the house and what? 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 You went into the house? Someone of ill repute? What are you doing eating with sinners and staying with? What are you doing, Joshua? What Joshua would say. What are you doing to these two men? Well, it's not like that. You know, as we were there, she then hit us and he began to, you know, they began to tell the account of what had happened. And I can't help but thinking Joshua was stirred to think at that moment, he goes, wow, I, I thought when the Lord is putting on my heart to send you to, I thought it was for one thing, but God was actually going before us, not only going before us, but it reminds me of Abraham and Lot. Do you see the similarity? Do you remember that how God put on Abraham's heart? Remember, he, Abraham said, but Lord, I don't want to. Well, who do you think put that there for Abraham to challenge God that way? You think that was God changing his mind? No, that was God teaching Abraham 
a love for the people. He was teaching them to have a servant's heart. And so he's pointing them to that, and he's showing 50, 25, 10. They hit one. We had friends of ours, Lisa and I, back in Calvary Chapel up where we were from. She, was, she had, a, I think it was seven kids, six or seven kids. She was going there, maybe it was six kids. She was going there, and she was pregnant. She went to Africa into a remote area, and she was very uh, nervous about obviously having the baby over there because she was going to be about four hours from any kind of medical care. Lord appeared to her, whether it was a vision or a dream, I can't remember exactly. Lord appeared to her and he said, do not be afraid. He says, wherever you go, I'm going to be there. Well, Tyler goes over with Jen, his wife. They're over in Africa. Sure enough, the baby's coming. Tyler's like, wow, this is it. Okay. And he's like, I don't know what to do. Do we need to boil water somewhere? You know, I mean, it it all comes, you know, he thought maybe I'd have time to get a doctor. Well, he called and wired. But again, four hours to get even somebody remote. She was having this baby. Tyler delivered the baby right in the middle of a hut in the middle of Africa. And God went before them, and the baby was healthy and perfect. He did everything, tied the umbilical, everything. Didn't have all the modern technology, didn't have everything that we are so blessed to have today. And she came back, and she addressed the congregation. She was telling the account they were over there for about a year. They were teaching them how to farm and some different things like that. She said, the Lord kept telling me if it was just one soul. Every time I read this, it reminds me if it's just one soul. When Lisa and I made the trips down here, we told the boys, we looked at ourselves, and we said, if it's just one soul, we didn't know what the Lord was going to do to birth a church out of it. We didn't know that. We knew if it was one soul, it was worth everything. Everything. Just like Rahab understood. And you understand because you've done the same thing in your lives. You've made sacrifices for others too. And you, you, you have the same understanding, don't you? It's just if it's, if it's one soul. I, I, I'm, I'm talking to like-minded people. You know. You understand what... What Joshua, when he was hearing this word of encouragement, it, he knows. And they said to Joshua, truly the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands. For indeed, all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. God could see that Joshua, or sorry, Joshua could see that God had already went before them. Well, his mission might have been a complete bust. There was nothing secret about it. God's mission was a complete success. And it always is. And it always is. Even if we don't see it. Don't be faint-hearted, friends. Even when you speak the truth of the word of God into somebody's heart and you don't immediately see somebody go, I need Jesus. Are you expectant? Because they have that measure of faith. And if that that soil's good, they will cry out to Christ our King. They will cry out. It will never be in vain. Then Joshua rose early in the morning. 
And they set out for the Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they crossed over. Now we're kind of coming to the end of our three days. So it was after three days that the officer went through the camp. And they commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant, please circle that for me. Very important. We'll see that at least ten times in this chapter three here. It's very important. God will keep mentioning the Ark of the Covenant because what it describes is the presence of God going before them. He says, And they commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God, and the priests, the Levites bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. In other words, when you see the presence of God move, you move too. That's a good word for us today, isn't it? When you see the word of God, you know, when you see the Lord move, we move. Yet, there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits, or roughly around 3,000 feet by measure. That's, you know, roughly a little bit more than a half a mile. So you can see it, you're just not right on top of it, right? Okay. So you're about a half a mile separated. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. He's teaching them a beautiful lesson. Set your eyes on God whenever you're going through a new experience, and he will lead you, just like he did Israel. We should expect nothing different. He's the ancient of days. His character never changes. There are always things we can rely on and count on with God. Because he's the ancient of days. He says, And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. So he starts to give them a spiritual preparation. Then Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. Now, this seems easy. We're reading this off the paper, you know, the page, our Bibles. God told this to Joshua. Seems good. What's the problem? Because it's the River Jordan, and it's at high season. You know, we're, we're going to read this in the rest of the chapter. It starts to tell us that it's at high tide. I mean, you're talking a quarter of a mile wide that the embankments would overflow in the Jordan this time of year. So literally when they're crossing over, it's at the time where the water is the highest and it's the widest. And these priests are going to go through. If you've ever been in the Jordan River or the Susquehanna River, that's what, it's got some current to it. It's moving. They've got the Ark of the Covenant. The priests are stepping in. I want you to understand, it's an obstacle before them. It's one thing when two men have to swim across the Jordan to go in and secretly spy out the land. It's another thing when you're taking two to three million women, children, right? Everybody coming over, your possessions and what you have with you, coming over this Jordan River at high tide with current and waves. And, you know, this is not a light undertaking. They're all sitting there. It's the last day. They're getting ready to move on. They're seeing this and they're kind of going, who's going first? Right? And God says, the priests, they'll go first. Why? Because what do they have with them? The presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant. They step in that water. You don't think they were knees were shaken a little bit? Their knees were shaken. I mean, look, they're 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 spiritually in tune with God, but they're also they've got their senses to them. And they're looking around them and they're going, you know. This looks dangerous. This is scary. Maybe, maybe, Lord, can you, can you give us another ark? 
You know, maybe they were thinking, hey, we'd like the ARC program right about now, right? Not, yes, we have the ARC of the God, but can you give us the boat? We want, let's just. <coughs> but they don't know what God's about to do. What is God going to do? He's going to literally dry up that portion so that they can walk across on dry land. So that the women and the children and all those that would, you know, be, you know, lame or unable to walk effectively will safely get clear passage across the Jordan with no danger. And isn't that like our God to go before us like that? Isn't that like our God to do something so just gentle and loving? That's exactly what he's going to do. And they're overwhelmed. I, I, I can't believe they're not overwhelmed as they're looking at this Jordan and they're going, we've done the Red Sea experience. We've been on the ride. We got the t-shirt. Why do we got to do this again? You know, we heard about it from our parents. You know, only Joshua and Caleb were like, yeah, we're there, you know. But everybody, everybody else is either dead or they've like, we heard about it. We don't want to do that, you know. But it's just like, it's like God so many times he allows those obstacles to be in front of us. And so many times we become paralyzed. Look, I'm speaking from personal experience. There's things in my life that I've seen where they seem so unsurmountable. It's, it seems so big. How can I do this? How can I cross over? How can this happen? Health-related situations. Maybe you've had or I've had or my kids or other people. Lord, this doesn't make any sense. How's this going to work? And you know what I mean when you're so overwhelmed? How do you feel when you're overwhelmed? How do you feel when you're stressed? It's, it makes you sick, doesn't it? It doesn't just kind of like, it literally can make you nauseous, kind of give you butterflies in your belly, make you feel uncomfortable. Sometimes a headache, stress headache or something, you know? I mean, it comes out, it physically manifests itself is my point. It's not just, it doesn't just stay and kind of ping around in the mind like a ping pong ball. This is real. This happened. They're real people. They had real feelings. And in spite of what they saw, they knew there was no going back because God had commanded to be obedient that they were going to go over in three days. He says, command the people, prepare your provisions. Do you remember he says that? Food and what do you have? Because there's also no more manna. So when you cross over, this is all new. You're going a new way, a new direction. We're not gonna, you're not on the microwave plan, right? Manna, manna for everyone. You know, manna out of king, manna French. I don't know. You, you get my point? And in spite of what they saw, they had to trust and believe. It's very difficult. Maybe there's somebody here that, 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 that is at that obstacle right before them, and you're going, I can't do it. I don't want to do it. Well, let's, let's see what we do. What do we do? The first thing I, I see they, they do is they they put their eyes on the Ark of the Covenant, on the presence of God. That's the first thing I see that they do. They put their eyes on Jesus. Because when their eyes are on their situation or anything going on around them, they are overwhelmed. You know what I'm talking about? I, I, I just, I, 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 can, I can readily, I read this, I live this, I know what this feels like. You know what this feels like. We've all had this in here, situations in our lives that have been overwhelming. We gotta put our eyes on Jesus. 
You shall command the priests who bear the ark and come and saying, when you have come to the edge of the water by the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. Oh my, you mean you don't want me to just jump across and run across? No, you want me to stand there and wait in the most terrifying, difficult thing of my life? Yes, yes, that's what we want you to do. That's, that's what God wanted them to do. Why? So that all the other people could see the witness that these priests were bearing in their faith and trust of God. That even when it doesn't make sense and even when it's scary, God is always trustworthy. Do you, do you see that? That's why I was mentioning earlier how much damage has been done by the church to the namesake of Jesus Christ. You think it doesn't matter? Oh, it absolutely matters because people are watching what the Christians do. It matters how we live. It matters if we honor God. It matters if we're obedient. It matters how we conduct ourselves, what we laugh at, what we don't laugh at, what we look at on TV, what we don't look at on TV, what we listen to, what we do. All of it matters because people are watching. And when it gets heavy and 9-11 happened and everybody floods into the church, because at that moment, that little voice that's been inside them through the Holy Spirit, that still small voice of God, all of a sudden they want to pay attention to it then. Because of fear, because they reality, they know it's real and true. And the next disaster, right, where we're at that, look, I don't want to scare anybody, but we have to be real. We're, we're at a very dividing point in our country. Some have suggested if there's a civil war coming within this country. A difference of over political party and what have you because of such strife and division. Look, wherever you land, that's I'm not political. That's between you and the Lord. You, you vote with the Holy Spirit. That's my encouragement. Always the word of God and the Holy Spirit. But do you see what do you think is going to happen? The next economic downturn, a disaster. Do you believe, even though it, the, the obstacle before you is unsurmountable? Look, I, I haven't arrived. Just this week I was dealing with something, and I, I saw how I'm still back on the shore. I thought I was in the water or crossed over. And I realized, who am I? Lord, thank you, for thank you for showing me the depths of my heart, my faith. Those are good, aren't they? Those moments, you guys know what I mean. I love this. So look what he says. He says, look. So they took of their ark and went before the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, this day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that you may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. You shall command the priests who bear the ark of the covenant, saying, when you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. So Joshua said to the children of Israel, come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, by this you shall know. Rahab knew, by this you will know, believer. That the living God is among you. So you mean to tell me these trials can actually be good? And as James said, count it a joy? Because through the trials, we actually learn to trust God more and more? Is that what he's teaching us here? Is that what it says in Scripture? That you will know. You will know. Why? Because there's no other way to explain how you take two to three, two to three million people over a river if it wasn't from the hand of God. And when you get to the other side, and oh yes, you will get to the other side. When you get to the other side and you look back, what do you know? 
you know that God just did something supernatural, don't you? When you go through that surgery and everybody tells you, you know, the, I love how the doctors give you statistics. Where, where does that come from? They give you a statistic. Well, there's an 80% chance you're going to die. Thank you. I Couldn't we have done there's a 20% chance you're going to live? You know, you're 80% chance you're going to, okay. And then when you survive, there's no way to explain it, is there? Other than God has you here for a purpose and a plan. And he's not done with you yet. And there's work to be done in the city. Well, that's what he says here. He says, you're going to know that the living God is among you. It actually becomes a witness bearer for you. It builds your faith and strengthens you. And that he will, without fail, drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, and the Hivites, and the Perizzites, and the Gergesites, and the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant, there we see it again, the presence of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. God will always go before you where he's leading you. God went before Israel here. Now, therefore, take for yourselves 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe, and it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of your feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the water of the Jordan shall be cut off. This is the promise. The waters that come down from the upstream, and they shall stand as a heap. But had they not took that step of faith to even stand in the water, would they have received the promise? They would have been back on the shore still wondering, how are we going to get across? And God does that. God doesn't give us the whole plan because where's the faith building in that? Where's the divine instruction in that? Where's the joy that we find in the midst of the trial in that experience? He allows it to be step by step. I call it faith by faith. Steps of faith. Faith by faith. They get their next direction, and it shall come to pass. It's a promise. So it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people and those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan and the feet of the priests who bore the Ark dipped in the edge of the water for the Jordan overflows in all its banks during the time of harvest. This is how we know that it was overflowing right here in verse 15 if you want to underline that. So priests' feet in, still wet. Verse 13, back up there focusing on the promise, right, that it's going to be dry that the waters which came down from the stream stood still, just as God said they would, and rose in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zeratin. So the waters that went down into the sea of the Arabah, or the Salt or Dead Sea, failed and were cut off, and the people crossed over the opposite of Jericho. <laughs> I can't help but seeing that God... Again, the ancient days, he delivered them from Egypt, crossing the Red Sea, a miracle. And now they enter the promised land by another one because he stops the Jordan River. You know, we're celebrating this month next week. Sandy said earlier, you know, we're proclaiming the birth of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, right? Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. God is with us. 
whatever we might be going through, whatever fear or anxiety that we have right now, God is with every single one of us. Even if, even if you're hearing this here tonight and you don't know Jesus, he's already put his fingerprints on you upon creation when he knit you in your mother's womb. There is a plan and a purpose for your life. And he desires to reveal more of himself, just like he did for Israel here. But it takes a step of faith, doesn't it? And it took them a step of faith. They crossed over opposite Jordan, or Jericho, excuse me. Then the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground. How about that? In the midst of the Jordan, all the Israel crossed over the dry ground until all the people, please underline that, God didn't leave a single person behind. All the people crossed completely over the Jordan. Trust him even when you can't see, even when you can't understand, even when the obstacle looks so overwhelming that you want to throw up. Okay? Trust him. He will always show himself faithful. And in so doing, not only is he a witness for the glory of his name, but you, by stepping in faith, become a witness for his kingdom. Amen? Let's stand and pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your encouragement here tonight. Thank you for showing us, Lord, that obedience matters and and our choices matter, Lord. Thank you, loving us, that you would redeem us, that you sent your only begotten Son to save us from the wrath that's going to come to this world, Lord. That everyone who believes on the name of your son, Jesus Christ, and confesses with his mouth, Lord, will never face damnation. Thank you, Jesus, that you were willing to come and enter into humanity as we get ready to celebrate your birth, Lord. Thank you for being with us, God with us. We will never, ever forget it, Lord. In all of eternity, we will declare and praise and worship your holy name forever and ever and ever. Because you loved us before we even knew what love was. Lord, tonight I know there are people hurting here. Lord, I pray you would heal them and restore them. God, I know there are people that are lacking hope. I pray you would pour out your blessing and hope and favor upon them. Lord, I know there may be people here that don't know you, Jesus. Today is the day of salvation. I pray if you don't know him today, ask him to be your Lord and Savior. He saved Rahab. He saved me. He'll save every one of you if you just call out to his name and ask him into your heart. Lord, I pray that you would save this lost and dying world. I pray, God, you would go before us 
and you would make it very clear the wheat and the tares. Lord, I, I pray you'd raise up an army for these last days of people that are willing to stand in the gap as prophet and prophetesses, encouraging others, building each other up for the wicked and evil days ahead of us, that we can stand firm on that dry land with all hope and assurance that you will come, that you will deliver us through the rapture, that you will take us from here, and that we'll be caught up in a twinkling of an eye. Jesus, we love you. Give us travel mercies home tonight. Settle hearts. Remove anxiety and depression and all the things that are attacking and waging war against the mind today. Remove them, Lord, from the conscience. Let them fade away. For God, we know it's a battle of the mind. We seek your peace, Lord. And we want to give your peace to others. Fill us anew and afresh here tonight that we can pour out as ambassadors of the living God. We pray this in your holy name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people prayed. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. I love you all. And have a wonderful night in Christ. And if anybody needs prayer, please come forward. We'd like to pray for you. If, if you have not accepted Christ and you would like to pray and ask God to come in your arm, again, come forward. We're here to pray for you and be with you.